You know, as a kid uh, growing up, uh, my favorite morning of the year and my favorite evening of the year, hands down, were Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. You know, and if, you're, if you grew up in a, a family that celebrates Christmas, then you understand this, this kind of the excitement that comes, you know, that Christmas night trying to go to sleep, but I couldn't go to sleep because every noise that I heard made me think that Santa had actually come, you know, and I was like so pumped, waking up in the morning filled with like just enthusiasm and excitement. And, you know, this wasn't something that I experienced only as a small child. Like it, it carried on well into my middle school and high school years. Like I just loved Christmas morning. And I'll never forget one of the most memorable Christmas mornings I ever had was in fifth grade. You know, I was 12 years old, and uh, my brother and I had been asking for, for new bikes for like a couple years. We've been, we wanted a, a new bike, and all of our friends had mountain bikes, and we wanted a mountain bike. And so we've been asking my parents, you know, Mom and Dad, please, will you let us get a mountain bike? And so I remember this Christmas morning, fifth grade. I woke up, you know, same thing as every year, super excited, ran, woke my parents up, ran into the living room to see if there was a bike in there, and there wasn't, you know, Christmas tree, presents underneath, trying to hide the fact that I'm a little disappointed, but excited because there's presents, you know, and my parents finally come in, and we just start ripping through presents. My dad always played Santa. He would put on a Santa hat and hand out the presents one at a time, you know, we had to wade, wade through them, and it got down to the very end, and he had two little presents left. And he held them out to my brother and I simultaneously. He said, okay, you guys open these at the same time. So I'll never forget like tearing through that package and getting the box open and inside uncurling this like little piece of paper that had a riddle on it. And the riddle was for me to solve and it led me to another place in our house. And so my brother is solving his riddle, I'm solving my riddle. And then we're immediately like dashing out of the room to go where our riddle led us. And I like went into the bathroom, looked under my toothbrush holder, another riddle. So I read that riddle, it leads me into the kitchen. I go into the kitchen, look under the silverware drawer and there is another riddle. And it was like five or six riddles, you know, that led us to one place after another in our house until finally my brother and I both solved the riddles that led us to the back door of our house. And my dad is standing at the back door, pleased to see that we finally solved the riddle. He says, are you guys ready? And we're like, yeah. You know, so he leads us out the back door and the riddle had led us to go out the back door and to look up. And I kid you not, we walk out into the backyard and we look up and there chained to the chimney on our roof are two brand new mountain bikes. <laughs> And we lost our minds. Yeah! We're like, how did they get up there? That's amazing. We were just so excited, you know? And I remember the effort my dad had to go through to get up there and take the bikes down, which, you know, and then we like rode the bikes down the street. It was like the most exciting, you know, that I remember, most excited morning that I remember as a kid for Christmas. You know, if you grew up celebrating Christmas, then you get this. You understand it. You remember that feeling as a kid. But don't you imagine, like, what would it have been like if my dad on any other Saturday would have tried to wake me up <laughs> and give me a riddle to solve? I'm a 12-year-old kid. Saturday's all I want to do is sleep in. What if my dad came in on some random Saturday and was like, hey, Aaron, wake up. I got a list of riddles for you to solve. And then he like pulls me out of bed and tells you to get me started. I'm only going to make it through two or three riddles. I'm like, dad, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> like, I want to be in there sleeping. Why did you wake me up? You see, the reason it was exciting on Christmas morning and it wouldn't be exciting on any other morning is because on Christmas, I am filled with expectancy. I know that there's something on the other side of these things that my dad is placing before me that makes me go through them with joy and anticipation and excitement. And this morning, you know, we're going to continue reading through the story of the early church. If you're here last week, we started the first part of Acts chapter 1 and we kind of talked about like, hey, what is the way forward out of the season of fast forward? Like, what is the way forward after we finish this a crazy season of prayer and fasting and seeking God? 
And we said the way forward is going to be marked by remembering who we are, remembering our identity by looking back at the church in the first century. And so we said last week that, hey, the church, our identity, in Acts chapter 1, we see the church is first and foremost a movement of God's kingdom. It is started by Jesus and fueled by his Holy Spirit, and it is carried by the people of God. And this morning, we're going to keep looking at that story. We're going to look at what the apostles do. The moment they see Jesus kind of taken from their sight, lifted up into the heavens, they continue to move forward with some actions. And as we read the story, we have to be careful not to put their actions and their experiences in the box of our own experiences. Because if they're going to do some things that on the outside sound remarkably normal to us, and if we are tempted to put them in the box of our own experience, and it'll feel like they're marked by drudgery or obligation. However, I think what we'll find is that this experience of the early believers was actually marked by joy and anticipation because their lives were filled with expectancy. And I think we're going to see expectancy in three areas. And I'm going to kind of lay these out really quickly, and then we'll walk through each one one at a time. The first one is they, they had this expectancy for Jesus to keep his promises. And the second, they had an expectancy for the scriptures of God to speak to them. And the third one is they had expectancy for God to lead them in their day-to-day lives. And so Joshua read, Josh read the whole text for us this morning. I'm gonna pick up and just kind of walk us through one chuck at a time. We're gonna start with this place of expectancy for Jesus to keep his promise. And so Luke tells us in Acts chapter one that as soon as Jesus was taken from their sight, these men in white come along and say, hey, men of Galilee, why are you staring up into the sky? Jesus is gonna come back. And so it says immediately, they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. They walk what Luke refers to as a Sabbath day walk. That means it was a little over half a mile long. They walk back into the city. They come back to the room where they had been staying. In verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brother. So, so Luke gives us this look at this group of disciples and those who are with them that later we'll learn are 120 people. And they come back into this room and they begin devoting themselves to prayer constantly together. And I think this is significant for a couple of reasons. One is their response to Jesus being taken out of their midst stands in a stark contrast to the way they responded when Jesus was crucified. I don't know if you remember the story, but when Jesus was crucified in the Gospels, the disciples scatter. They all abandon him. In fact, in John 21, we find them, they've kind of come back together to commiserate a little bit, and Peter's sitting there. You can just imagine they're all like, like, like just forlorn and sad, and Peter says, hey, I'm, I'm going fishing. This was not like Peter being a redneck saying, hey, I'm going to go get some fishing in. No, this was his livelihood. Like Peter was like, no, I'm going back to my job. What else am I going to do? I'm going to go back to the thing I've always done. And so he goes back to fishing. They've returned to life as it was before Jesus. But what we see here in the book of Acts is something completely different. Jesus is taken out of their midst, out of their sight. And immediately it says they join together constantly in prayer. It's because now their lives were marked by this expectancy that Jesus would fulfill his promise. He told them, hey, wait here until my father pours out his spirit, until my father gives you the gift that I have promised. And what I love is the way that Luke describes this prayer. Now, it sounds kind of mundane in English. It says they gather together constantly in prayer. You know, it's like, but the word together that Luke uses there, it's a Greek word that he'll use 10 times throughout the book of Acts. And one commentator says that it, it perhaps is better translated as they gathered and they prayed with one mind and one heart. 
that what Luke was trying to capture is there was something happening amongst them, between them, in their midst that was unique and different and separate from what they had ever experienced before. They were being united with one another. And Luke's gonna use this word 10 different times in the book of Acts to try to capture what was happening in the early followers of Jesus. He's saying, look, there is this togetherness, this intimacy, this singular pursuit as the body of Jesus that begins to mark them. They are together, they are one, and they're chasing after Jesus' promises. So they were united, but the other mark of their prayer, he said they were, they were together constantly, <laughs> I love this word because it kind of captures the heart. They weren't just united, but they were persistent. They were persistent in chasing after Jesus in prayer. Uh, in Luke chapter 24, verse 53, it's the same story Luke is telling. And he says that the believers were together continually at the temple, praising God. That praise and prayer just became this thing that marked their life. It was a, a new way of life for them. That praise and prayer was not an event that they went to, it wasn't a season of life that they went through and then left it behind, but it marked a new way of living life with one another in communion with God the Father through Jesus. This was a new way of life he was unfolding for them. You know, I, I, honestly, if we're not careful today, I think sometimes the promises of God have a different effect on what we see happening here. Here, we see the promises of Jesus propelling them into praise and prayer, and their lives look remarkably different. Sometimes we face a different reaction to the promises of God. And I say that as one personally, like I've experienced this. That sometimes the promises of God, that instead of propelling me into praise and prayer, sometimes it feels like the promises of God paralyze me. Because, because honestly, I start going, yeah, but what if? What if that doesn't happen? What if God doesn't do the thing that he says he's gonna do? What, what if he doesn't come through for me the way that everybody says he comes through for them? I experienced this just last week. You know, I came into this gathering last week and the Lord had been speaking some things to me. I mean, I told you, if you, haven't, if you weren't here last week, you can go listen to the podcast, but you know, God like woke me up at like four in the morning, two mornings in a row, like speaking some things to me that I didn't know what to do with. And I was really reluctant to share it in a context this big because I went, oh, well, what if it's wrong? Like, what if God didn't really say that? What if that's not his promise? What if he fails? What if he doesn't come through? And I had fear begin to mark my heart. And I had like uh, uh, several different brothers and sisters come up to me and say, hey, are you gonna share that? Because I had shared it with them in a smaller setting. And I was like, ah, I don't think so. They're like, why not? And I was like, well, and really it was fear. God's promise had paralyzed me because of my own fear and his ability to carry out his promise. But what we see in the earliest followers of Jesus was that God's promises did not paralyze them. They were moved, they were propelled into praise and to prayer. You see, we are called to walk by faith and trusting God's promises. The promises of Jesus to the apostles, they led to expectancy, which led to action. You know, in this prayer that they lived out, it was not just this place of like lobbing up, like, oh God, please help me here. God, please help me here. You know, expecting God to be like a genie that if we rub the lamp in the right way, he might come out and answer our wishes. But no, their prayer was this prayer of expectancy where they're saying, God, we believe you and we don't want to miss any of it, Lord. It's not just begging God to keep his promise, but showing a desire and a willingness to be a part of the promises that he's laid out. This is what marked our earliest family as followers of Jesus, an expectancy for Jesus to keep his promises. The second thing that marked them 
was an expectancy for, for God to speak through the scriptures, for the scriptures of God to speak. Now, this looks a little weird to us when we read it. Um, you know, what I love about what I see in verse 15 is this, is that prayer was not seen as a one-way communication. So often we just think that prayer is this place where we, we're like throwing stuff up to God. But in reality, what we see here in the earliest followers of Jesus is it was two-way. It went both ways. And so this is why in verse 15, it says, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and he said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled. Now, I want you to imagine what they were wrestling with as a group of believers. They'd watched Jesus crucified, raised back to life, but they had also watched one of their very own, one of their brothers from their inner circle, Judas, abandon them, betray them, betray Jesus, and then eventually become so racked with guilt and shame that he took his own life. I mean, this was a group of men and women who had lost someone that they loved, that they had walked with, and they're trying to make sense of this. I think sometimes we read this little excerpt about Judas, and it sounds like the scripture is so trite and insensitive about his loss. But all it's doing is laying out the facts of what had happened, and I think it gives us context in the ways that they are praying. And as they're praying, they're also consulting the scriptures, and it is in the scriptures that they hear from the Lord about how they make sense of everything that happened with Judas. And so Peter, they're all gathered together and praying, and Peter stands up and says, hey, listen, it says right here, it's written in the book of Psalms, verse 20, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it. And also in Psalm 109, may another take his place of leadership. And so the apostles go, oh, the scripture is speaking to us about how we move forward. Now, we could get really caught up in going, hey, was this Judas' free will? Was he predestined? No, we don't have to get into all of that. What we see here is that in very real time, some people who are wrestling with the promises of Jesus and the experience of their life, they found guidance and clarity from the scriptures of God, that the scriptures of God spoke into their lives in a very real way, because they had ears to hear and they had eyes to see, and they had a level of expectancy for God to speak and communicate through his word. And so as the people of God, we are called to live as the movement of God's kingdom with an expectancy for the promises of Jesus, an expectancy for God to speak through his scripture. But the reality is, I think many of us often look at reading scripture as kind of this necessary obligation to keep us on good terms with the big guy. It feels like this thing we have to do. Oh, I've got to open this book and read it so that God will be happy with me. And if I don't, I feel really terrible. And, and I, I don't say that to be funny. Like, I know that I've felt that. And I know many of you feel that. But here's the thing. God longs to speak to us through his scriptures. He longs to. You know, the early apostles, they believed, and we know this because they wrote about it, that this, this, this word was living and active. It was dynamic it was useful for teaching and for correcting and for, for growing us up in the faith. And so they leaned on it. And the call for us as Jesus' people is to lean on the word and have expectancy that God will speak to us from it. If we listen with expectancy, with ears to hear and eyes to see, then God will speak. And so as the people of God, we were called to have expectancy, expectancy for Jesus to keep his promise, expectancy uh, for God to speak through the scriptures. And then the third thing that we see is that they had expectancy for God to lead them very practically in the day-to-day. -day. I, I love this part of the story. 
you know, it says that they, you know, they realized they needed to find someone to replace Judas. And so they kind of lay out, they say, hey, here's the qualifications. We need someone who's been with us from the very beginning in the ministry of Jesus. They were there at John's baptism all the way up until Jesus ascended. And so they start looking at who's there with us. And they're like, all right, all right, all right. We, we've got Barsabbas and we've got Matthias. Okay, we need you guys. You guys are the only ones that qualify. Now, I'm convinced if this was today, they probably would have held a little mini election and tried to get everybody to vote because they want to be democratic about it, but that's not the way they did it. Look what they did. They have them come forward and then listen to this. Look at verse 24. Then they prayed, Lord, you know. Lord, you already know. You know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you've chosen. This is a simple prayer, but man, it is challenging to pray. Lord, you know, so Lord, will you show? Lord, you know, will you show us? Lord, you know, will you show? This is difficult for us to live into. We, you know, I love what they do from here. They literally cast lots. They draw straws <laughs> to see who it's going to be. Lord, you already know, so we're going to let you show us. We're going to let them, whoever draws the short straw is out. You know, they don't get to be in on it, which sounds ludicrous to us. <laughs> like, why would you ever entrust the leadership of a movement to the drawing of straws? It's because they trusted God to lead them in the day-to-day, everyday decisions that they had to make. They had an expectancy. This is God's movement, not their movement. And so if they put it in God's hands, God will lead it where he wants it to go. You know, here's what I love as you read through the book of Acts. So we're going to see this over and over again. And this will sound crazy to us as we see the people of God that keep putting things back in God's hand. And, you know, I'll never forget the first time I saw this actually practiced. And it seemed ludicrous to me at the time. I was in Uganda. It was the first time I'd ever gone to Uganda, and I was doing a pastor's training conference over there. And I spent five days with around 200 indigenous pastors from the villages of, like, very rural villages in northern Uganda. And one of my goals was to teach these young pastors how to engage the Word of God. So we spent like four or five days literally learning the narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Well, you know, that's a lot of material to cover in four days. So I was only able to touch down like, and get into the details in specific places. And I remember in the middle of my teaching, I got to the book of Acts. And for whatever reason, I felt like the Lord pulled me down and told me to share this story. So I shared with them about how they cast lots to see who will take Judas's place. And at the end of our week together, uh, the organization that we were with had four bicycles that they wanted to give away. And the reason they were giving these bicycles away is because many of these pastors wanted to share the gospel in villages that were far from them, but the only transportation they had was their feet. They said, hey, we'll give out four bikes so that these guys can take, these men and women can take the gospel with them on these bikes. We get to the end of the week, and I'll never forget Jana Og, who many of you know, she was there with us, and uh, one of the pastors came up and said, hey, how are you going to decide who gets the bikes? And I remember me and Jana were like, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. We didn't really think this one through very well. We got 200 pastors and four bikes. And so we're like kind of scratching our heads, trying to figure it out, and James, our church planning pastor there in Uganda, he goes, we will just do it the way they did it. And I'm like, what are you talking about, James? He goes, well, you said they, they cast lots. We will cast lots. And I'm looking at him like, James, that's so dumb. Why would we ever do that? You know? And he's like, no, he's like, we have to believe. This is God's plan. And so he literally gets a sheet of paper and he starts ripping it up into all these little pieces. He puts a dot on four pieces of paper. We put them in a hat and we pass it around the room and one pastor after the other takes out a piece of paper. And I'll never forget, as we had the pastors who got the dot to kind of come forward so we could give them their bikes, James is standing there next to me and he knew most all of these pastors. He's standing next to me and they draw it out and we say, okay, if you have a dot, come forward. And I remember James leans over to me and goes, oh yes, the Lord has chosen wisely. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, James, I love you, brother. See, James, James knew. 
He knew almost all these pastors. He knew who would take the call seriously, who would utilize the bikes in a way that honors God, but he didn't take the decision-making into his own hands. I realized in that moment how little I trust the Lord. I, I, I'm like, man, God, do I really believe that you can use the drawing of a piece of paper out of a hat to set your movement into motion? It's what happened in Acts. Do we believe that things like that can still happen today? That God longs to lead us as his people, as his church. Now, I'm not saying that we need to start drawing straws or rolling dice for every single decision that we make. That's not what I'm advocating here. But listen, I do think we need to search and examine our hearts as to why we think it is such a crazy idea. Because I think what it reveals is that we long to still have some control and we don't yet fully trust God to steer and to lead this thing that he started. You know, I think what we need to see is that the early church so trusted in God's leadership that they were constantly putting everything back in his hands. Throughout the book of Acts, you're gonna see them, they're gonna literally put their possessions in his hands. They're gonna put his finances in their hands. They're gonna put the purpose of their life in his hands. They're gonna put the, hey God, where do we go in his hands? They're gonna put God, when do we go in his hands? Repeatedly, they're going to continue to have this expectancy that God longs to lead them in the day-to-day -day decisions as they continue to walk out the movement of God's kingdom in their lives. And the invitation for us is to have expectancy. Guys, God is at work. He's leading us. Will we trust him to keep leading us in the day today as we partner with him in his movement? And so see, I believe in the book of Acts, first chapter, we see that God's people are marked by an expectancy for Jesus to keep his promise, an expectancy for the scriptures to speak, an expectancy for God to lead them in the day to day. But, but what about us? What does that mean for us? Do those things still mark us? You know, just being honest, I think there are many of us, sometimes myself included, who don't always expect God to keep his promises. You know, we're racked by that being paralyzed by fear, or we look at the things like reading scripture, praise, and prayer, and letting scripture speak to us, and it honestly feels more like my dad waking me up on a random Saturday to solve some riddles than it does the expectancy of something on the other side of it. And I think what Jesus is inviting us into, going, guys, I'm not just giving you some pointless hoops to jump through. I long to lead you. I long to do things in your midst that you can't even begin to imagine to ask for. He is the living Lord God Almighty, and he longs to lead us as his people. But we have to keep praising. We keep praying. We keep looking to scripture, and we expect him to lead us in the day to day. Now, Here's the thing, I don't know if you remember this, but we started off this year looking at a promise of God, a very simple promise. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, God looks at his people, he says, hey, listen, if my people who are called by my name, that's us, will humble themselves and will seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will turn and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. This is the promise we started this year off with and it, that promise propelled us into a season of prayer and fasting. The promise is still there. Throughout the prayer and fasting season, we have only begun to see the tip of the iceberg that God longs to do in our church, in his church, and in our city. And he's inviting us to keep trusting, to keep having expectancy. Now, I know that sometimes sustaining that expectancy can be hard, especially if you do it alone. 
This is why the apostles gathered together constantly. This is why we come together on Sundays. This is why we need to be in each other's homes during the week. If you're not in a house church, you need to join a house church, not out of religious obligation, but because it is as we gather together that the Lord will stir the fire of hope and expectancy and faith in our hearts. Well, we continue to draw together in faith and in love. Now, here's the thing, because I know it's hard to sustain it, I wanna share some testimonies about what God has been doing. I came in the last Sunday, and I remember we finished our gathering, and um, I had a few people come up and start to share testimonies with me. And I remember at the nine, it was first a couple people came up, and they said, hey, I don't have any prayer requests at the response band. And they said, I just want to share something God's been doing so that we can thank God and praise Him together. And I'm like, awesome, that's cool. So we pray together, and we praise God. So two people, and then a third person, and then a fourth person, and then after the 11, a fifth person. And I'm like, okay, something's happening here. So I like started writing these things down. Like, God, what are you doing? I'm getting on my phone. I'm like writing everything down. By the end of Sunday, I had 11 different testimonies that people just brought to me unsolicited. And I want to share a few of these with you so that we can all see and continue to believe that the Lord is on the move. And I remember one testimony, it was a young man who came up to me and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to share all the details because I don't want to expose you know, them. I, have, I don't have the permission. I hope it's okay, guys. Anyways, one young man came up to me and he said, hey, he said, hey, I don't know if you remember, but you know, six or seven months ago, I, I started coming to Ethos. He said, I was in a dark place. He said, I was in a rough place. He said, man, I just want to testify that God has been working in my life as I've continued to put myself around his people. He goes, I am the prodigal son and God has brought me home. It was amazing. Then I had another woman, a young mother, come up to me with a child in her arms, and she said, hey, I don't know if you remember me. My husband and I came to you at the Respond Banner about a year and a half ago, and we just experienced the miscarriage of our first child, and we were heartbroken and grieving, and you prayed with us, and we continued to press into the Lord. She said, I want to introduce you to our seven-month-old daughter that the Lord has given us. And she said, can we praise God and thank Him? I'm like, absolutely, we can praise God and we can thank Him. You know, I think another... Another young woman came up and she said, hey, I was baptized last Sunday and my family didn't know how to respond to the fact that I was baptized. So they called me and they were concerned because they thought I'd joined a cult. <laughs> and so she said, they had all these questions about what was going on. And as we continued to talk, the walls began to come down until now members of my family are calling me going, hey, I want you to tell me some more about this faith thing that you have now. <laughs> I remember, you know, there was another family that came to me on Sunday night, and I've been praying with them for the past month and a half because of some sickness in their family. Their granddaughter had a major diagnosis that required several surgeries, and their unborn grandbaby was given a grim prognosis. The doctor said this baby that their daughter was pregnant with had fluid on the brain. It was not likely to make it full term, and if the baby did, it would probably die shortly thereafter. So we had a group of men that he was texting that we were praying with him throughout the month of prayer and fasting. And last Sunday, I said, hey, give me an update. What's going on? He said, oh, my granddaughter's great. Surgery went well. She's full of life. She's joyful. She's happy. And I said, well, what about your unborn grandbaby? He goes, oh, I haven't told you yet. He said, she went to the doctor. The doctor did a scan. He's like looking all around. And he looked at my daughter and he said, hey, listen, I'm not someone who believes in this kind of thing, but I'm guessing you've had some people praying for this child. He said, the fluid is gone. This baby is fine. There's no, no sense of any impending danger. This baby is perfectly healthy and it's gonna be fine. I'm like, guys, God is on the move in our church. It's amazing. Now, I know some of you are going, I don't know what to do with that. What if, what if it comes back? It's like, we will move forward with expectancy that God will keep his promises. That is what we will do. Yes. There's one other testimony I, I wanna share with you. And this one's really special. You know, there's um, a woman in our church who, who recently got out of prison. And she's actually given me permission to share her name. I'm actually going to introduce you to her this morning. But she, um, she's going to get baptized today after the 11. And uh, yeah, yeah. 
And so I asked her, I said, her name's Kathy. And I said, Kathy, could you just write down like what God's been doing so I can share? She goes, yeah, please share that with our church. So here's what she said. Why do I want to be baptized? I spent 30 plus years trapped in my addiction and through it all, God never left me. Every time I cried out in desperation, he was there. He pulled me out of the pit and I ran for him, from him. I could not, I would not feel his love. I would pray for others, but I felt I did not deserve his love or mercy. I felt so unworthy because I knew I was not living right. Four and a half years ago, I got in some serious trouble that landed me behind bars. The only book available to me was a Bible. I picked it up and began an amazing journey to my current relationship with my father. He poured his love out on me and put people in my path to guide me back to him. He let me know that I am worthy and that I am a child of the king. I rededicated my life to him and I've recently been released from prison and I'm ready to begin my new life washed clean and a new creature. My heart is pulling me to baptism to make my renewal complete. I know the Lord has plans for me and he has put an anointing on my life. This is the next step in my obedience to him. I found him again in the quiet place and I want to glorify him with the rest of my life. Kathy, will you come up here? Kathy, will you come on up? You guys help me welcome Kathy. Come on over here. Guys, this is Kathy. <laughs> I loved last week, I, I asked her, I said, hey, would it be okay if I shared your story? She said, yeah, as long as God gets all the glory. Mm-hmm. And her heart is to glorify and honor God. And so here's, you know, after we're done here at the 11, we're gonna go back into our kid's space. We're gonna baptize her. If you wanna come and help celebrate, come back there with us. We're gonna baptize her. Um, I wanna pray for you, Kathy. Um, I want to ask you just a couple questions, though. Um, I do this with every person that I baptize. You know, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Absolutely. And you believe he gave his life on a cross so that you could be set free from sin, from fear, from guilt, from all of that? Yes. And you believe that he rose from the grave, and you want to make him Lord and Savior of your life? Absolutely. Uh, that's amazing. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to spend some time praying together here to wrap up our time together. So, Lord, I lift up my sister Kathy to you, and I praise you, God. Lord, I'm so humbled that you've allowed me to get to really just kind of be the mouthpiece for the things that you're doing in our church family. Lord, you've been working in Kathy. You've been drawing her to you, inviting her to you, softening her heart to your love, reminding her that she is your daughter and you are her dad, and you have a purpose for her life as the king of the universe. So, Father, we pray, would you pour out your spirit upon our sister? Lord, today as she goes into the water, will she come out full of life, full of your spirit, and ready to run with you, God? Help us as our church family, God, to to honor you, to support her well and love her well. Would you draw her into community, Lord? Draw her into brothers and sisters that will encourage her in her journey. We love you, God. Um, we, we entrust Kathy to you, and we pray that, Lord, that the anointing on her life would become clearer and clearer as she keeps pressing into you. And it is in the great and wonderful name of Jesus that I pray and give thanks. Amen. Yeah. Love you. Yep. Hey, if, if you want to come help us celebrate Kathy after the 11, just come out to the kids' space. So here, here's what we want to do. We want to live into this, right? This is our identity. We are people who are committed together constantly in prayer. We are people who praise God. We are people who listen to the scripture. Uh, We are people who let God lead us. And so we're gonna spend some time praying. Here's what I'll say. I've got some prayer prompts that I'll put on the screen. You can follow those if you want, or you can just pray for whatever you'd like. 
For some of you, you may be visiting or new here, and maybe you've never been to church where they pray together, but hey, this is kind of just what we do as a church. And so if it's uncomfortable, you don't have to pray out loud. You can pray by yourself. Um, But we're gonna turn, get in groups of two to five people. And let's start with this discussion question that will lead us into prayer. Just ask one another, hey, what threatens to distract or prevent you from trusting in God's promises in your life? Go ahead, find some people around you, get together, and let's start talking with each other. As you continue talking, there's another prayer prompt on the screen just to keep praying into what it is that you've been talking about with each other. Hey, we got one more slide we're gonna put up with another prayer prompt. You keep praying with whatever you're praying about. I just wanna keep giving you things. Uh, to pray through his final prayers. We're gonna ask God to root us in his word, to keep following his guidance in the day-to-day. Keep praying. I don't wanna disrupt what God is doing in your groups right now. We're gonna keep moving through our time together. And for the rest of our time together, we're gonna do a couple of things. One, we've got communion set up all around the room. We do this every week. The bread reminds us of the body of Christ. The blood, I mean the cup, is the blood of Jesus shed for us. So at any point during this time, you can get up, you can grab communion off the bar, off the table. As we commune together, we proclaim the coming of Jesus, his death and resurrection. We're gonna continue praying with each other. We're gonna continue praising. If you need prayers, listen, we are a priesthood of all believers. You can pray with someone sitting next to you or you can come to the respond banner. We'd love to pray with you, pray for you. And we're gonna praise in song and in worship. So let's all stand with one another, either continue praying where you are or go to communion as we continue our time of praise and prayer to Jesus.